you know, I think you you want to you want to include content that, that's personal. You want to develop a relationship with that audience, and you know, being able to add those personal touches in so that they come back wanting to hear from you and not just wanting to get the content. I think that's really the key because you're developing a relationship that's intimate. They're allowing you into their inbox. Welcome to the Micro Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Emmel. On today's episode, I speak with Kathleen Booth, a VP of marketing that is passionate about email list building. And she's going to share some in-depth tips around building a valuable email list, which is something I, I know we all need. So make sure to stick around to the end where Kathleen is going to give you her biggest piece of advice based on her years of experience. Now let's learn with Kathleen. Welcome to the Micro Influencer Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Kathleen Booth, who is the VP of Marketing at Attila Security, and really excited to talk all things email today. But first off, Kathleen, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Blake. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Doing really well. And I'm sure the audience is going to get a lot out of this one today because many of us, myself included, are trying to build an email list. We know how important that is to keep nurturing that and building that up. So I'm excited personally to ask you tons of questions. But first off, I would love to get some quick context on you. And first and foremost, just curious what you think your professional superpower is, just to give an idea to the audience of who we're talking to. Oh, boy, professional superpower. That's a really good question. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, like many marketers, I'm great at marketing other people and terrible at marketing myself. So I guess, you know, the thing that I've really, I seem to have specialized in the last few years that I'm really passionate about and that I love is coming into really early stage companies as the first head of marketing, building out a marketing team, developing the strategy and basically putting a growth engine in place. And so mm. that, that's what I love. And that's what I seem to do over and over and over. <laughs> awesome. Well, that, that's going to be super helpful then, because that startup mentality is exactly who we're talking to. That's that's the audience here. I'm curious what the story, if you could give a brief elevator story of how your career has gone so far, basically the story of when you started to where you are now, and then we'll get into a lot of the tactical Absolutely. So I did not actually start out in marketing. I had a whole nother career for 10 years working in international development, but about halfway through that time, I, I started to kind of shift over to focus more on marketing and communications because a lot of big international development projects have, have trouble getting off the ground because mm. of poor communication. And so I started to shift my focus and that eventually led me back into marketing, which is what I had done my um, MBA in many, many years ago. I started my own agency and had that for 11 years. That After that, I, I sold it to another agency, spent a couple of years there transitioning everything over, and then left to uh, really pursue my passion, which is working with startups. And since that time, I've been VP of marketing and a couple of different startups recently specializing in cybersecurity. But really, I'm just I'm all about helping entrepreneurs make their businesses successful. And I think that's because I was an entrepreneur myself for so long. And, you know, I might not have my own business now, but I still need to scratch that itch. And so I like to do it with other business owners and, and help them see success and maybe not make some of the mistakes that I made. I'm also a podcaster. So I have a podcast called the Inbound Success Podcast, where we talk all about how to get more ROI from your inbound marketing efforts. 
Fantastic. So fellow podcaster, fellow entrepreneur, I think this aligns really well. So let's let's dive into the email side of things, because I know that's what we want to cover today for the most part. And I'm really curious, starting out, you mentioned you were an entrepreneur. That's very much at the heart of who you are. I'm curious what email, email marketing, building an email list has looked like for you. What have you done in the past for yourself? You know, this is such a fascinating topic to me. And, and I'll, you know, fly my marketing freak flag right here and say that I am I have a major like nerdy marketing obsession with email. I do. I just I'm not ashamed to admit it. And I've seen it really come full circle because years and years ago when I first started doing all of this, you know, not everybody had an email newsletter and and just by having one you could kind of get great results and then companies like Constant Contact and Mailchimp came onto the scene and made it super super easy to send out like really nicely formatted newsletters and it, in some respects that was a great thing because it it made that accessible to anybody and in some respects it was a bad thing because because it did make it accessible to anybody and I think a lot of people sort of took this check the box approach with email newsletters and they would use one of those great templates from one of those providers. And, you know, it was like, I'll put a picture in and the first three sentences of my blog and, you know, a read more link and I'll do that three times and then hit send. And that's my newsletter. And, and as a result, newsletters became really, really, really awful and boring, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really awful and boring. And so I think people got super tired of them and, and the results started to, to deteriorate. And then what happened was there, there started to be this renaissance. And, and I'm not really sure where it started, but I think some of the earliest examples of, of what I would call the email newsletter renaissance were like, I don't know if anybody listening remembers the Daily Candy, which turned into a, a really big business that was acquired by Bank of America. And it was a couple of women in New York who started sending out a summary of the day's news and some other, you know, interesting things of note. And, but it was done in a really snarky tone of voice and it was just different and it had a lot of personality and it caught on like wildfire. And that's just one example that was sort of early, but what we've seen since then, and, and this is more kind of on the newsletter as a business front, is companies like The Morning Brew, The Hustle, Quartz Obsession, basically turning into businesses in and of themselves that are all based around a newsletter. So those are companies that started as email newsletters and that monetized those email newsletters and became large. But then you also have other, you know, businesses that have really leveraged their email newsletter. One that I can think of that's kind of large is Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop to really reach a huge audience. And, you know, these are all different examples and you don't have to agree with those, those content creators or not. The reality is they're building huge juggernauts of businesses around email newsletters. And what they all have in common is they're all written from a place of authenticity, of commitment to letting the personalities of the writers shine through. They have a very particular tone of voice and they're obsessive about being consistent in the delivery of that tone of voice and not being afraid to alienate some readers in the way they do it. And so those are some big examples, but there's also some maybe not as big examples that are also very well done. So that all kind of leads me to, you know, what, what really got me interested in this topic was uh, a few of jobs ago, I was with a company called Impact and they had not had an email newsletter for a few years. This was a, an agency. They had, they had stopped when email newsletters got to be that kind of terrible, boring, templated mm -hmm. format. And we decided we wanted to get back into it, but we wanted to do it right. And so I did a ton of research into 
you know, in, in the year at this point, it was 2018. What makes a really great email newsletter that people actually want to read? And what I learned is, and this is going to sound like a big duh, but it's all about building a habit amongst your readers, you know, and that's the premise of newsletters. I don't care what your newsletter is like, it's about a habit and the best newsletters are delivered at a certain, you know, interval, whether it's weekly, monthly, daily, what have you, but they're predictable. People know what time of day they're going to come. They look forward to them, you know, and it's everything from getting your CNN five things newsletter in the morning and knowing that the news is coming to getting, you know, the morning brew or the hustle or some other, you know, some other update newsletter that you get on a regular basis. And so to, when you talk about building a habit, you're really talking about the reader inviting you into their life on a regular basis. And when people are so, you know, strained for time and overwhelmed with content and tired of marketing messages, you, you have to do something to really stand out in order to get them to want to invite you in regularly. So that's kind of the, the basic premise of what makes a great newsletter today. I mean, I'll stop talking for a second because I could go on for an hour, but I want to give you a chance to ask any questions if you have them. Otherwise, I can keep going. I have thousands. Uh, <laughs> first and foremost, my, my big question is with the advent of text messaging as a platform, it seems like a lot of people like, you know, there's Gary Vee and now even smaller influencers than him are starting to really be a proponent of, hey, text me instead of doing a lot of emails. They still do emails. But I think there's a perception out there that because texting is becoming a business effort, that email is kind of dying. But it sounds like you're saying there's actually a huge opportunity out there. So I'm curious, first off, are you confirming that email is not a dying medium? And then second, where is it going in the future? I mean, I, as a rule, think it is completely absurd when any, anybody talks about any marketing channel dying. These channels don't die. They just get used poorly or abused. And so if you know how to use a channel correctly and you respect it and you respect the time and attention of the person on the other end, there's no such thing. And I mean, I could, I mean, unless it's a platform we're talking about, but channels. There's no, there's no dying channel. Email is not dead. It's not even close to dead. <laughs> if anything, it's, it's like the coolest kid in the block right now. It's just that people haven't realized it yet. So I, I totally take issue with that. But what I will say when it comes to things like text and, you know, I'll be the first to admit, like, I don't actually want to get anything by text from any business. I, it annoys me so much, but I know a lot of people who feel very differently. And so mm. the way I have always looked at this is in a perfect world, you would give your audience, you know, an array of choices for how they want to hear from you and let them decide. So I love email newsletters. That's why I'm passionate about them. I like to get them. I like to read them. But if you have somebody if, and if you know your audience is comprised of a lot of people that would rather have text, then either do this by text and apply the same rules that I'm going to talk about in terms of what makes for good content or do both, you know, give people a choice, ask them, would you rather get this information by text or would you rather get it via email or would you rather get it via podcast or, you know, so on and so on and so on. I think choice is really, really the best thing and, and what's at the heart of being audience centric. And thankfully there, I mean, there are things like GDPR and, and things like that, that are making it more necessary to give options, which is great. It's, it's kind of terrible for marketers sometimes who are Go, you know, being pushed against quotas, but for the most part, I think it's it's good to give the options like that. But moving on to the copy side of things, because I know that you're eager to talk about this. 
as somebody that's a connoisseur of newsletters, I'm sure you receive your fair share and read them and really digest them. I'm curious what the patterns are that you see that go into good copy that the audience can actually take and implement into their own writing. Oh boy, I have so much I would say about this. <laughs> we probably don't have enough time for me to say it all, but talk I think really fast. Right. The first thing <laughs> is stop writing like a marketer. So many marketers are guilty of this. We are, we're all human beings, right? We're all human beings. But for some reason we go to work and we put our marketing hats on and we turn into these marketing robots that speak and write in ways we would never do in mm -hmm. our real lives. I'm and, so guilty of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, number one, the biggest thing is just tap into your humanity. <laughs> and when you write the, the trick I use, and I'm actually, it's funny, as I got on to record this with you, I was in the middle of writing an email and I'm using this <laughs> trick. And the trick that I use is I pretend like I'm writing this to one particular person. And I think of a friend of mine who's not a business acquaintance, who's an actual friend. And it could be the same person every time, or it could be a different person. But I think of that very specific person. In this case, let's use my friend Abigail. And I think, okay, if I was writing this to Abigail, how would I do it? You know, I, I wouldn't use business jargon. I wouldn't be overly formal. So I'm going to write this email to Abigail. And then I can go back afterwards and just make sure there's nothing, you know, inappropriate or nonsensical or what have you. But I really want the person on the other end to feel like, like they're hearing from a friend. And that's tough for people because I think we've all been kind of taught and, and bred to treat business contacts in a, in a different way than we treat friends. But that doesn't foster, you know, really deep connection. And so I think we have to kind of almost forget everything we were ever taught and tap into, you know, what really makes us humans and, and can communicate that way. So in terms of like subject lines that really entice you, for example, how, what are some of the ones that you've seen, if you can think of any examples that really express that humanity, just, or, or I guess patterns that, because I know the subject line, very yeah. first thing people are going to see. So I would love to start there. Yeah. You can have the greatest email in the world, but if nobody opens it, who cares? Right. So subject lines, yeah. so important. And that's a great place to start. I'm really glad you brought it up because you see a lot of newsletters that are sent out and it might say like newsletter colon, or, you know, the same thing happens when you invite somebody like to a webinar, it'll be like webinar in brackets, and then the name of it. Well, mm -hmm. if you were, even if let's say you're sending a newsletter, or you're trying to promote your webinar, if you were emailing a friend about it, you would never do newsletter in brackets, you would say, Hey, I thought this might be of interest to you, right? Like, that's mm -hmm. how you talk to your friends. So it's the exact same kind of mnemonic or rule or trick that I would apply for subject lines and think, how would I write this to a friend? That There are little subtleties to that. It's not just the words you choose. It's, for example, not writing your subject lines in all leading caps, which is, is what marketers tend to do when they're writing you know, titles. So the first mm -hmm. letter of every word is capitalized. You would never do that if you were writing to a friend. You might have the first letter of the first word in your subject line capitalized, but everything else would be lowercase. Or you might write all lowercase. And it's funny because there are definitely businesses that are experimenting with that. And it looks really informal. And to some people, it might even look like a mistake, but it, it looks like a human wrote it. And so people tend to open those things. Yeah, and, and I guess the subject line's only purpose is to get people to open it, right? So even if it's more friendly and doesn't necessarily fit 
what your mold is. If it gets people to open the email and it's not totally inappropriate, then I guess that that's probably an effective subject line, right? Yeah, but the one caveat to that is you you can't trick people because sure. it's it's very easy to think, oh, I want to sound like a friend is writing this. And so I'm going to write it in a way that tricks them into thinking I'm an actual friend of theirs. And then they, what happens when, when you do that and, and when the subject line doesn't have any connection to the content of the email is people might open it, but then they're going to get really annoyed that they open it and it's not from their friend and it has nothing to do with the subject line and they feel tricked and, and that kind of erodes the trust that you develop. So you want to sound like a friend, but you want it to be you want the subject line to be appropriate given the content of the email so that there's a logical connection when they open it and they don't feel like you've pulled the wool over their eyes. I have one follow-up and kind of final question around the formatting of a newsletter, but I'm just curious, according to you, what's the appropriate way to make sure that, I guess, once, once you get the first email, that's crucial because it's a freebie. Nobody can unsubscribe from email zero to email one because they subscribe to your newsletter. So they're going to get the welcome email. That's your chance to convince them. But how do you make sure that you keep them coming back and not unsubscribing over time? Well, this is an interesting question because a lot of marketers do approach it as, gosh, I don't want anyone to unsubscribe. So I'm going to like minimize the, you know, the little footer text that says unsubscribe and make it tiny and pale and hard to mm. see. But I actually, one of the email newsletters I love is by a, a guy named Chris Penn, who's a marketing analytics expert. And he puts this big, blaring, brightly colored button right smack in the middle of the top part of his newsletter that that's his unsubscribe link. And he does it because he knows if somebody isn't getting value or, or isn't reading his newsletter or isn't interested, it's better for them to unsubscribe because if they keep getting it and they don't open it, Eventually, what's going to happen, the way that email deliverability works is not only is that person's email going to go into their spam box mm. or their junk folder, but other people's are too, because the email service providers see those patterns. So you actually really want people who aren't genuinely interested in your content to unsubscribe. And so I, I'm a fan of making the unsubscribe link actually fairly obvious for that reason. But to do that, you really have to be committed to making the content great so that people don't want to unsubscribe so that they're, they see that and they think, no, I don't want to stop getting this. This is too good. And following up, is, are there any secrets from like email one to two, from two to three, just to make sure that you, I mean, do you have a personal standard you hold yourself to or a, a process when you're particularly writing an email or if things that you've seen from other newsletters to keep people engaged over time. Because uh, I think a big concern from creators is I can build an email list, I can do it once a week, but then over time, I'm just going to run out of ideas. So do you have any kind of process to avoid that? You know, it's, it's really like flexing a muscle. The, when I was doing that research for in 2018 for the email newsletter, that was when I was with Impact, which is a marketing agency. And what we created as a result of that research was a three or a thrice weekly, so three times a week email newsletter, which is very frequent. And we right. were really trying to model what a publication would do. So we did look at like CNN and eventually our goal was to get to five days a week. And, you know, when you think about three times a week, we had the same person writing that three times a week. And, and she started every newsletter with a personal story. She's an amazing writer, but 
even she had a hard time with that. And it's interesting because I've kept, uh, you know, in very close touch with her. And she does talk about how it's like anything, you know, and practice makes perfect. You know, I think you you want to you want to include content that, that's personal. You want to develop a relationship with that audience and, you know, being able to add those personal touches in so that they come back wanting to hear from you and not just wanting to get the content. I think that's really the key because you're developing a relationship that's intimate. They're allowing you into their inbox. So finding enough personal things to talk about, I think, is the challenge. And that's where journaling is helpful. You know, it's the same skill that people develop when they blog frequently. You just have to get in that habit and be observant about your daily life and the things happening around you so that you have enough fodder to include for those personal anecdotes with whatever frequency you need to do it. I want to take a step back here and go back to something you said at the very beginning, talking about how it's actually a renaissance of email marketing, because I was looking back at some things that you said. You mentioned that you think email newsletters are actually where it's at in, when yeah. it comes to innovative marketing. I'm curious what you mean by that. Like, what, What's so innovative about email or what can be innovative about email that we could be using? I guess because, you know, Email is a very saturated channel. There's a lot of it, but so much of it is done so poorly. And in most industries, you know, there isn't anybody doing it well. So if you're able to create an email newsletter, that's really great. You actually have this amazing opportunity to gain share of mind. And there are a bunch of really nice examples of this. Like, for example, and in their boring industries, so there's a company called CB Insights, which is an analyst firm. They look at technology companies. It sounds like a really boring industry. You know, it's not a sexy topic. And they have a great newsletter and they have a really great tone of voice and personality. And it's one of the founders of the company that writes it. And this is what I love because people always think, you know, if I'm in a, a very stuffy white collar business, I couldn't possibly do things a certain way. Well, this newsletter just shows you you can because the the founder of this analyst firm, which is you know they work with very big, well respected companies, signs off on on every newsletter. I love you, and then he puts his name, and like because he loves his readers. They have hundreds of thousands of subscribers. That's the CB Insights newsletter. So a, a white collar kind of you know large successful company that's working with really big technology firms you know, that, that signs off every newsletter with, I love you and is, is amassing a huge following that just goes to show that you don't have to follow the rules that you think are out there. And, you know, there's people like Anne Handley. She's got an amazing newsletter called total anarchy, which is, it's a great example of everything I'm talking about. If you want to see another one and some of the others I mentioned too, morning brew, the hustle, et cetera. And a lot of these, you know, they don't have fancy graphics in them. They're not highly designed. They just have really good content that makes you feel like you've really gotten to know the writer and, and enjoy spending time with them. So if I were, I, I kind of am at the beginning of my own email journey, honestly, but if I were starting completely from scratch or if, or if you were starting completely from scratch in 2020 and I said, you got to go build out an email list, you're going to, you're a content creator or you're building out a product, you have to start from zero and build this thing out. Where would you start? How would you grow it over time? So it's funny that you asked that because I am actually in the process of doing that right now. I just started at a new company a month ago. And Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and they had a newsletter, but it was really, 
not very fully developed. And so um, I'm very fortunate that the the person I'm working for has given me complete carte blanche and he's allowing me to totally recreate the newsletter from scratch. And so in my case, you know, it's cybersecurity, which again, you know, it doesn't seem like the sexiest topic, but I'm following a lot of what I've seen work in my past experiences and some of the research I've done. So every newsletter, we just sent out the first one. That's the, the first stab at a new format. It starts out with a, a sort of long personal introduction letter from our CEO and I help him with it. And it was very funny because the first time we wrote it, I told him what the topic was going to be. And I said, Hey, I want to hear your opinions on this. I want it to be personal. And he wrote something up and he had some opinions in there, but, and I don't think he would mind me saying this. Like it was a little bit too marketing speaky. And I was like, I went back to him and I just said, you know, what, what upsets you about this topic? What frustrates you? What do you want to call BS on? You know, don't be afraid to tell me let's, I want to hear your real opinions. And he conversationally gave it to me and then I helped him write it out, you know, and it's not, it's not an angry letter or anything, but, but it's a little, and it's a little bit of a rant in a good way. You know, it, it calls out some, some problems in the industry and some status quo, but it was funny when I showed this, this newsletter to some folks on the team, they were like, wow, that's kind of long. And I was like, yeah, it is long. You know, we, we need to draw people in and really um, invite them in to, to, to understand what we're thinking. So it starts with a letter that's very personal. We do share some of a, a little bit of our own content, but it's never, you know, the classic approach of let's pull the first three lines of the blog and put a read more link in it's, you know, yes, it's a link to the content, but, but what we write in the newsletter is like, here's why you should care about this. Here's why, here's why this matters to your life. It's all about providing context. And then we include content from third-party sources. So it's not, there's very little self-promotion in the newsletter. And what there is is subtle. And I think that's, that's key to a great newsletter. You don't, it doesn't have to be all about you. Your reader wants to get it because it's delivering value to them. And so if, if you're able to deliver value that has to do with you, like that is your content, great. But if you can supplement that value with, you know, highly curated information from other sources as well, that's fantastic. So one of the things that we're including is a series of links called here's what we're reading right now. And it's like articles that we share internally on our Slack channel that we think are really interesting. And mm. we're just elevating that to the rest of the world. We're also sharing a list of upcoming events that we think are really valuable within the industry. And then, you know, a couple of tweets that we've seen that are just funny, you know, they're not educational or anything. They're just funny and good for a laugh. So mixing some of that educational stuff in with some funny things. I think that that's a nice mix and some personal letters. I'm curious now, taking it even a step further, because you you do have your own podcast. And I'm sure there are a lot of podcasters listening to this podcast. It's very meta. I'm curious <laughs> how you use email marketing to promote your podcast, how you use podcasting to promote your email list. How What's, what's the cycle there for you? So I'm such a cobbler's child. I'm not doing it right now. And the reason is that when I, when I started the podcast for the first two years, well, and it actually still, it is published through impact, which is the company I used to work for. Mm. So, you know, I have a really great relationship with them and I publish the, the podcast on their website and it actually goes out in their email newsletter. So for that reason, I hadn't, I haven't started one of my own but it is, uh, it is a project that I'm working on. And so my goal in the next 
couple of months is to have a new website up for myself and to start doing an email newsletter. So I wish I had a great example to show you, but, but what I will say is that the same formula I just described that I'm putting in place at Attila, which is the company I work for now, I'm going to use for my personal newsletter because it's, it's what I've seen work and it can work just as well for an individual person's or personal brand newsletter as it does for a corporate newsletter. There's no reason to make it different just because it's a company or a person. We'll have to talk again in a little while and see what the progress is, because then I'm sure you'll be able to give us all of your tips of how you grew this massive email list that you're about to build. Yeah, well, what I will tell you is when we did this at Impact, same format, started it in 2018. And within a year, we had an email newsletter subscription list that was at about 30,000 people. So it works for sure. Yeah, not, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> my, my final question here around email for, for today is basically tools, equipment, things, things that you personally like to use, because I definitely want to give the audience tactical things if they're looking to start a mailing list, but they have no clue where to host it and, and how to do that. What are the tools you use? Yeah, so I've um, definitely relied over the years quite heavily on HubSpot. You know, full disclosure, I used to be a HubSpot partner, but I love it. Uh, I just purchased it for the company that I'm working for now. And that's what I'm using to send out that newsletter. I love the analytics it gives me on the back end and the deliverability. But there are certainly a lot of other tools as well in terms of, you know, marketing automation or email sending platforms. But then there are also some, you know, some other tools that you can use to make your emails more interesting. One of my favorites is called Nifty Images. If you're not familiar with it, you should definitely check it out. It's it's really neat. And we used it at Impact a couple of times. I'm sure I'll use it at Attila. But you can do things like, for example, at Thanksgiving, we might have an email newsletter and Nifty Images lets us insert a picture of, you know, call it a, a turkey, a Thanksgiving turkey setting. And the image might say, you know, here's some turkey for... And then it will dynamically insert the name of the email recipient. So if it's me, it'll say, here's some turkey for Kathleen, which is really cute because you open it up. And one time we did, we pulled a Nifty Images image that looked like a mixtape from the 80s. And you know how people used to write on the mixtape labels like, hey, here's yeah. a mixtape for so-and-so. So, -and -so. so yeah. I, you, know, you would get the email and it would look like somebody had literally sent you an email with a mixtape that had your name on it. It was just it's awesome. And, and if they have things like countdown timers and all kinds of really neat tools, but it's pretty inexpensive and it can really add some fantastic, very personalized flair to a newsletter. Awesome. That's a, that's a pro tip right there. Cause I've never heard of it. So. Yeah. Well, you're going to love it once you see it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Awesome. Well, I, I do always close out by asking this simple question here. There are so many bootstrappers and micro-influencers, side hustlers, whatever you want to call them out there listening. What has your life and your experience taught you so far that you would offer as advice to them right now? Oh, boy. You know, I've, I've started and run several businesses, and all of them have been bootstrapped. So, you know, I've, I've walked in those shoes many, many times, and it's, it's work. I mean, the... The, and the big picture of my, my piece of advice is something I'm sure everybody's heard before, which is don't do it unless you're doing something you absolutely love, because it is a lot of work. It's not going to be worth it unless you're passionate about it. But if you are passionate about it, it's like the greatest thing in the whole world because it doesn't feel like work. And that's kind of, for me, that's my podcast. It, nobody pays me to do it. I don't do it for my job. It's, it's a side project for me and I love it. And I learn so much 
And so the time I spend on it is, is great. And I, and I feel a return for it every single day. Now, that being said, you know, in terms of the marketing aspect of, of doing this sort of thing, the key is really to commit to content creation and to do it consistently. I mean, all the evidence is there that shows that it works, but something like 90 plus percent of entrepreneurs either don't make that commitment and don't create content or they start out with great intentions doing it and then they fall off the wagon and, and that's why it doesn't work for them. All right, Kathleen Booth, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today, teaching us a lot about email and just giving us some pretty good, solid life advice as well. Really appreciate it. I want to give you a chance to just talk about where people can find you. You should definitely be following her on LinkedIn and anywhere else, but what's your major platform and where should people be going to look for you? Yeah, I would say my the number one place really where I connect with people is LinkedIn. So definitely send me a connection request there. I do, I have created a lot of videos on LinkedIn and you can follow those at hashtag Kathleen HQ. If you just search that hashtag in LinkedIn, you'll see a feed of my videos. But I'm also active on Twitter at my handle is work mommy work, which kind of describes my life. So yeah, connect with me in either of those places. And, and, you know, there's also the inbound success podcast. If you just Google it, it'll come up and you can find me these days working at Attila security. Awesome. Kathleen, thank you so much again. Thank you once again for listening. If you would like my personal growth marketing tips delivered to your inbox Tuesdaily, get it every Tuesday, visit bit.ly slash microgrowth. So bit.ly slash microgrowth. Also, just feel free to DM me anywhere on social, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok. I'm on it all. I'd love to help you out. Till next time, influencers. Thank you very much.